0: Then the temple is here. Today's reading is from Ezekiel, chapter 10, verses 15 and verses 18 and 19 and chapter 11, verses 22 through 25 from the message translation, which reads, Then the cherubim rose upward. These were the living creatures I had seen by the Kibar River. Then the glory of the Lord departed from over the threshold of the temple and stopped above the cherubim. While I watched, the cherubim spread their wings and rose from the ground, and as they went, the wheels went with them. They stopped at the entrance of the east gate of the Lord's house, and the glory of the God of Israel was above them. Then the cherubim spread their wings with the wheels beside them, and the glory of the God of Israel hovering over them. The glory of God ascended from within the city and rested on the mountain to the east of the city. Then, still in the vision given me by the Spirit of God, the Spirit took me and carried me back to the exiles in Babylon. And then the vision left me. I told the exiles everything that God had shown me. This is God's Word. We have moved through the rhythms of garden to those of altars that have a way of popping up just about anywhere, especially where we at least expect it, to those of temple and tabernacle, which ultimately offers a more stable and stationary expression of the divine to which the human is summoned to come and see. So what now? Where does all this leave us? Where does all of this lead us? If, as Stephen affirms in Acts chapter 7, the Most High does not dwell in temples made with human hands, then where does the Most High dwell? And where are we supposed to go? The excerpted passage in Ezekiel paints one of the most somber, mournful portraits in Scripture as he beholds the Divine Presence, represented in what amounted to the ultimate fiery wheelchair borne aloft by four living creatures, its course facilitated by those wheels within wheels, allowing instant and easy course modifications. In other words, this Divine Presence has no need for either three-point turns or U-turns. Yes, he beholds this Divine Presence lifting up and leaving, step by step, as if commencing a mournful, lingering farewell. The Presence moves from the most holy place to the threshold of the temple, lingers there for a bit, and then lifts up again, leaving both temple and city, and resting on the mountain overlooking the city and temple. That would be the Mount of Olives. And then, it's gone. No one else is sensible to any of this movement, of course. Life inside and outside the temple carries on as usual. The smoke of incense still ascends, the sacrifices are still being offered, and elders still stand in prayer with hands lifted. But all are oblivious to the fact that God literally just left the building. And the thing is, after this temple was destroyed, and after the next one was built on the same spot, there's no record of any outward manifestation of its return. No cloud of glory descending like a heavy fog enveloping the holy place and putting a stop to all activity due to its denseness as priest and officiant are driven out. So it was with the tabernacle when it was completed. So it was with Solomon's temple when it was completed. In fact, the next biblical reference to such a cloud of divine presence, what Jewish tradition calls the Shekinah, isn't anywhere near that or any temple structure. It was on the slopes of a high mountain, most surmise Mount Hermon, where Jesus of Nazareth was praying, a dense cloud that conveyed the presence of both Moses and Elijah for an in-depth conversation with Jesus about his upcoming exit, literally his exodus. Waking to this dense cloud of divine presence, the three disciples who had accompanied Jesus up the mountain showed that they were denser still by suggesting that they immediately built three tents to contain, or at least they hoped to prolong, this divine moment, which was, of course, yet another great exercise in missing the point which point we continue to miss when we likewise obsess over building tents or temples to likewise either summon or capture or prolong such moments of divine presence. Behold, something greater than the temple is here. That's what Jesus said when answering accusations of Sabbath breaking when his disciples were either plucking off heads of grain to eat on a long morning's walk towards another village where they would help fellow humans to walk or see or hear. Something greater than the temple is here. And that something greater is the embodied divine presence we know as Jesus of Nazareth. And wonder of wonders that something greater is also us. We also are the something greater than the temple, we, the embodied presence of Jesus and the wide world, as wherever two or three are gathered together in his name, there he is in the midst of them, in the midst of us. We are the house, and it is this reality that we will invite to settle upon us like that cloud this week. Now, if we can just let it settle and resist the temptation to build a box for it. So as you pause for a moment of personal reflection and prayer, ponder this. We are the house What are some of the initial implications of this? What are the implications for you, personally, as you consider the fact that you yourself are part of the house itself, rather than merely being invited to some function within it? Lord, something greater than the temple is here, and this means, like Right here, not just around me, not just at my feet, but here, in me, with me, through me. We ask for signs of your kingdom come out there, but you keep pointing us back to the reality of kingdom come right here. The kingdom of God is within you. This is your temple space. This is your Holy of Holies right here in this heart, in this body, in this life, joined like a living stone to the lives of those around me. As together we rise to become a holy temple, your home on earth as it is in heaven. O Emmanuel, make it so this day through your mercies.